on the news, that it is all around us. And I, I talk to people all the time, um, especially people who struggle with this whole faith thing, and they say, well, I, I believe in God, but I have a real problem with the evil that's happening in our world, and I don't know how to explain it, and I don't understand it, and I don't really know what to do with it. And, and I think that as a, a community, we can see it all around us. Events from this past, just a couple weeks ago, um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And I, I remember seeing this picture um, plastered on the front of newspapers of this, this mom who has lost her child in a horrific act of violence. Or going back several years to Sandy Hook Elementary School and, and children that were, were murdered inside a classroom five and six years old. Or going back even a little further to the, um, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and the Amish school shooting. And, and we can name numerous other ones in between um, Aurora, Colorado, and Columbine High School, and, and so many others, because these events seem to be more and more frequent in our world. But going back a little further to things like Auschwitz, and Nazi Germany, and concentration camps or 9-11 and terrorist attacks, the civil rights movement and things like KKK, where evil is so heavy and dark and we are so abundantly aware of it. But understand at the same time that this is not a new problem. You look back to things like the Roman Empire and writers like Josephus who said that Thousands upon thousands were killed by being hung on crosses every day to the extent that there, were not an, there was not enough space for the crosses and there was not enough crosses for the bodies. That evil is something that is so difficult to define. Yet we seem to be so aware of it when we see it. And we're very good at analyzing it and explaining it. But we really struggle to define what it is and why it happens. And we have this tendency to think, well, evil is something that happens to people somewhere else. And I think that's one of the things that social media has done for us and the media in general is it's distanced us from the problem. It's made it something that happens somewhere else. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's so easy to get used to seeing this that you start to lose the ability to have compassion in the moment. That you turn on the channel and our response is not grief and it is not mourning and it is not hurting, but our response is, oh man, there's another one. Because we start to get so used to it happening that we forget that we are supposed to be people in this world that are helping to deal with it. That are supposed to stand in opposition to it. And because of our distance from the problem, we have several responses to it. One, we start to ignore it. We just pretend it's not there and it hasn't happened to us. And until it does happen to us, we don't really have to deal with it in the, next, in the first place. And so we ignore it. 
Or second, we're surprised by it. It happens to us when it finally does happen and it blows our mind that something like this could happen. How could this? This happens to other people somewhere else. This does not happen to me. And then the the final is we react in immature and dangerous ways. When it does happen, we lash out. When it does happen, we want to seek revenge. When it does happen, we want to get even. And in our eyes, as much as we can, we want to make the problem go away and make it right. We want to even the score. And in this mindset, in this view, we come away with this paradigm that the line of good and evil runs between us and them. Here's us who do it right Here's us who've got it all figured out. Here's us who are good. And then you have them. And the them is the ones who are evil. The them is the ones who don't have it all figured out. The them is the one on the other side of the aisle. Them is the one with a different race or a different ethnicity or a different religion. It's between us and them, and we want to make sure we're on the right side. And you see this in Israel's view of themselves. Israel was God's chosen people, and in their mind it was us who's got it right, and them who's got it wrong. And God is for us, and God is against us which we'll look at next week, is kind of contrary to their original calling. And so we divide, and we point fingers, and we cast blame. We divide the room. We divide the politics. We divide our communities. And we make sure that we are the ones left on the right side. And so over the course of this series, I want to deal with some really, really important questions. But I think some really heavy questions as well. What is evil? And if God is good, then why does he allow evil to continue? And what is he or what has he done about the problem of evil? And what are we supposed to do about evil? the problem of evil. And so I just want to invite you, if you, I know that this series falls in a really funny place in the calendar, because next week is Perfect Storm Sunday on um, the 11th, yes, where we have time change and spring break all falling on the same day. And so I want to encourage you, if for some reason you have to miss one of the weeks of the series, to go online, shallowroad.com, go onto our app, um, and make sure you catch the, the message, because these are going to build on each other, and they're all leading us toward resurrection. Because before we get to resurrection, we have to go through the depths of the grave. And we have to deal with some of the really heavy stuff before Jesus comes out of the tomb. And I want to challenge you in this series... I want to challenge you 
to let go of your simple, easy church answers that you always had. Because it's so easy to say, well, evil is because of sin. Just deal with it. Let's go on. But there's more to it than that. And when we minimize it to that, we also minimize the cross and we minimize the resurrection. Because the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the resurrection is found in what Jesus does to conquer evil. And so I want to begin with the end. In this passage that we read this morning from Revelation, I want to read just the first part of it from Revelation 21. And John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, wait, 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 wait. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Why is it that in the end, the sea disappears? Why is it in the end that what was a part of God's good creation is taken out of the picture? Why does John say there is a new heaven and a new earth and there was no longer any sea? Because I don't know about you, but I like the sea. Occasionally we take a family vacation and we go to Gulf Shores, Alabama, and we hang out. It's the Gulf Coast, but it's kind of the sea. A little darker, browner. And and we like the sea. We like cruises. If anyone wants to send me one on one. That... We, we like the sea. But for some reason, John gets to this point in his writing and he says, there is no longer any sea. The sea is part of God's original creation, but by Genesis 6, God's good creation is threatened by the rising waters. And from within the good creation comes forces of chaos to exact God's judgment. And one of the things the psalmist wants us to know is that God, the creator God, the one who loves his good creation, still has power over the sea. And he has power over the waters and over the flood. If you can go to the Psalms passage, Nathan... The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The next one, 77. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and withheld. The very depths were convulsed. And in 93, the seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. And one of the things that sorry, in verse 4, yeah, mightier than the, th- yeah, go back to verse 4, sorry. Mightier than the thunder are the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. And so the psalmist keeps reminding the people that God is God, the creator God is powerful, and he has dominion and 
rule over everything, including the waters that rise, including the floods. And we don't hear about after Genesis 6, we don't hear about the rising waters, we don't hear about the flood again until we have Moses and the people of Israel leading out of Egypt. And they stand before the waters, and the waters are parted, and God leads them through the waters into this new world, into this new land. The sea quickly becomes not only a means of God's judgment and death, but also a means of salvation. It it becomes a place of death, but it also becomes a place of resurrection. And here's the thing, you cannot have one without the other. See, most of us want to talk about and love the idea of resurrection. But you do not get to resurrection until you have passed through death. And for some reason, that surprises us. That blows our mind that we have to go through this to get there. Because we want to talk about the good. We want to talk about resurrection. We want to talk about hope. We want to talk about healing. But you do not get to the resurrection. You do not get to the hope until you've gone through the grave. See, it should come as no surprise to us that as Jesus calls us that you're going to take up your cross, that you're going to lay down your life in order to follow me. That in order to find life, you're going to lose it. In order to find life, you will lose it. And so there are these stories that encompass and talk about the sea. The first one we talked about just a little bit is this flood story from Genesis 6 and 7. Is God is grieved that he's made the world because the world has become violent and corrupt. That God's good creation has gone astray. And God searching and trying to reconcile and heal is fed up with the creation and he decides that he's going to start over. It says in chapter 7, this is not going to be on the screen. If you want to turn Genesis 6 and 7, chapter 7 verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth And the floodgates of heaven were open, and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Skipping down to verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The water rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated over on all the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered that the waters start to come forth and they start to come down and they begin to consume the whole earth. Then Daniel. Daniel has these dreams. And one of the dreams, he talks about 
a vision. He says, in my vision at night, I looked. This is Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. And the four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The, the sea was the place where evil was coming from in his vision. And then in Revelation chapter 13, in borrowing, borrowing from Daniel's writings, John in Revelation begins to talk again about these beasts that come out of the sea. And in both Revelation and Daniel, these beasts are representations of empire. They're representations of people who have power and authority and control and use it to inflict punishment and hurt on other people. It is these empires that Daniel is talking about, that John in Revelation is talking about, and it's the abuse of power. See, when we talk about sin, almost always we turn our view to individual sin within our life. And we talk about it in terms that Jesus died for you and he gave his life for you to free you from your sin. And, and that's true. But in that paradigm, we forget that there is a larger picture of sin in this world. There is systemic sin. There are these massive systems of sin that our individual sin can contribute to and propagate and spread. And see, here, here's the thing. Is you think your sin is no big deal. Because it affects you. But what you have to understand is that your sin does not just affect you. It is contributing to a larger picture of sin in this world. A larger system of evil that is all around us. I, I meet people who are in the traps of an addiction to pornography. And they say, well, it's just, it's about me. But no, it affects you and it affects your spouse and the relationship with other people. And not only does it affect them, there are people who are producing it, who are trapped in a sex slave and are bound and slaved to it. There is a larger system. When you talk about drugs and you hear people all the time, well, it's just a little weed, it's no big... But there's a larger system in this world and that little sin, whatever it is, is part of something bigger. There are people killed in this billion dollar drug trade industry every single day. And you might think it doesn't affect anyone else, but it does. Because it's not just about you. That the very evil that we are helping in doing these things to spread is the very thing that God has positioned us to stand against and in opposition to. 
Because continually, Jesus keeps talking about you standing up for the people who cannot stand for themselves. Take care of the poor and the oppressed and the widows. Give people a voice who don't have a voice. And they're always bringing people to Jesus. Here's a woman caught in adultery, and the law says stone her, and Jesus says, no, give her grace. Now go and leave your life of sin, but go in grace and peace. Or a woman at the well, and we don't know what her story is. All we know is she is hurting, and she's trapped, and she feels enslaved. And Jesus reaches down and gives her a hand. And he gives her hope where there is no hope. See, I think one of the things that we know about evil, if we cannot describe it, if we cannot define it, is we know it feels like darkness. Because when evil happens, it covers us, and it is heavy, and we will use words like this that seem so funny to describe something as evil, but it's dark, and it's heavy, and it hurts, and it's painful, and we don't have the words. All we know is we don't like it. And it does not give life. I think one of the things that we're searching for, every single person on this earth, is we're searching for life. And we're looking everywhere to find it. But I think what we see more and more often is that we're looking into the grave to find it. We're we're looking into it in things that are dead and have no life, trying to find it. And the reason Jesus calls you into the grave is to lift you out of it, not to leave you in it. He does not call you to new life Or he does not call you to death to leave you in death. He calls you into death to lead you into new life. See, Jesus did not just come for your individual sin. He came for the redemption and the rescue of the whole world. And these massive sin structures that are all around us. See, the the problem of good and evil does not run between us and them. The line of good and evil runs straight through the heart of every single one of us. That every single one of us have a choice whether we are going to be children of the light or children of the darkness. Whether we're going to follow Jesus selflessly and fully or where we're going to hold on to what we feel like we can control. And see, that's what we like. We like control. We like power. And in fact, as long as we have it, we will use whatever power and control we feel like we have to leverage it against other people so that we can stay on top. And throughout the Scripture, that's what God has to say about empires. That empires, that empires at their worst leverage their power and ability and authority 
to marginalize and oppress other people. Whether it's Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or Rome. These beasts that come out of the waters had one purpose. Destruction. See, I think this leaves us with some really important questions. In what ways does our sin play into the bigger problem of sin? In in what ways are we standing by and watching evil unfold and take place and doing nothing about it? Because when you died and you were resurrected, because that's what those waters that were meant for death and resurrection, that's what they represent. When you died and were resurrected, you began to be a part of God's new creation, His new world, that He has invited you to be a co-creator of, to join Him in the creation of. And that begins with spreading life in this world. See, God created His image-bearing stewards to rule wisely over creation on His behalf. That was this covenant, and it has not been forgotten. But yet the task is now in this tension. Because the ground produces thorns and thistles. So what about this problem of evil? What is God done about it? What is God doing about it? See, He's not simply just rewarding the righteous and punishing the wicked. Because God's justice is saving and restorative. He is punishing the wicked. Excuse me. It's restorative because God, to whom justice belongs, is the creator God who is yet to fulfill His plan for creation. The, the book of Isaiah goes and it talks, the first half of the book really, talks about Israel's rebellion and how they were called by God and yet they rebelled against God. And they began to do their own thing. And here's what God's justice is going to look like. And then the second part of Isaiah unveils a new character in the story. A suffering servant. And in chapter 42, he appears as this royal figure, resembling much of the royal figure from Isaiah 9 and 10, or 11, excuse me, 9 and 11, but yet doesn't quite resemble a king. And, and we ask, well, what is this servant doing there? The, the servant is there to stand against evil. And all those images that we've seen, all those images that are burned in your head, those images that you want to ignore, he is there because of them. And this servant stands there. 
and takes the full weight of all evil upon himself. And he does not respond in the way that everyone else does. He responds by laying down his life. In this beautiful psalm, Isaiah says this, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, that evil that we commit, that we contribute to, that seems to hang over this world. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What what is God doing about the problem of evil in this world? He comes in the form of a suffering servant. And he takes the full weight of all that evil can do upon his shoulders. And he puts himself upon a cross. And he lies down in the grave. And for so many, for so many, so did their hope. So did their hope. This one that they gave their life to follow and surrender to was in a tomb. And evil done its worst and evil had won see here's my thing my assumption is most of us have been in a place at some point in our life where we feel like evil had done its worst and had won And we feel the weight of it and the burden that comes with it. But here's why you got to come back. Because hope is not lost in the grave. Hope is rising. Father, today, we understand that so many times the weight of our sin does not just affect us. But Father, the weight of our sin is what puts you on the cross. The weight of our sin is the reason you went to the grave. And Father, left there, we are without hope and we have nothing. But when we truly realize what it means to die as you have called us to, 
we also understand what it means to be resurrected. Father, give us the courage to leave the life that we want to hold on to and fully and finally submit everything and all that we have to Jesus. And Father, to stop being afraid to stand up where we see evil in the world. Not being afraid to speak out against it. Because we have been called to steward your good creation. This new world, this new heaven, this new earth that you are bringing through the death and the resurrection of King Jesus. And so Father, we pray all of this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. We just want to offer an invitation this morning. If you have never given your life to Christ, walked through the waters and been resurrected into new life, and have your past, your sins washed away, come. This is a great morning to do that. Adam did last week, and we celebrate with him. Um, If we could help you in any way, we're going to have ministry staff and shepherds around this auditorium. We would love to simply pray for you in any way we could. So come while we stand and sing.